You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, brothers and sisters. You hear me well? Coming through just fine. I feel like uh, I've got this thing on my head to go through the PA, and I've got this thing to record the sermon, and all I'm missing is an IV and like the finger pulse thing, so I feel all uh, hooked up this morning. Um, I had a really good time here in Hastings, and Joe fed me some, like, sausage meatball concoction last night, which was awesome. Then I went to his friend's house, Chris, and um, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. Wait, um, Stephanie, and um, they fed me dinner, and then I I guess I'm having lunch today, so I kind of feel like I'm, like, stuck in the plot of, like, Hansel and Gretel, and someone's going to cook me here soon and eat me, because I'm just being, like, relentlessly fed while I'm here, so... um, And it's been great, man. It's been a really, really good time. I'm really thankful to be here. Like Joe said, we're part of the Acts 29 network. I'm one of the the primary assessors for the region for Acts 29, so I help to just assess new guys. And so I met Joe because as he was being assessed to enter the Acts 29 network, I was one of his assessors to just walk with him and love on him and Christy. And uh, I think from from right then, I just kind of developed a bit of a bromance with Joe and, and, and a friendship and... You know, he's just a really solid guy, man. I think I'm excited about what God is doing here at the well. Spent time with the leadership team yesterday. And, um, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can be so jammed up in the things that are going on and the problems we're facing that it's, it's hard to sometimes just slow down and celebrate the victories. You know, hard to slow down and celebrate what God is doing. And um, this is exciting, man. This is the local church. Like, this is the plan for the redemption of all creation. The local church. This is it what we're doing right now in this space, being a family. So I know Joe already prayed, but I like to pray again. And especially when I travel places to preach, you know, I feel like for for both sides, sometimes I come places and need to check my own arrogance, right? Because you go places and you're like the outsider and and it feels kind of good to be like the speaker somewhere, right? And and you guys are maybe listening to me and thinking, here's this outsider, who's this guy? And um, sometimes good just to remember that we're brothers and sisters, right? Like that's who we are. And so I want to pray and just get us in that headspace, and then we're going to turn to the word together. Father God, I proclaim to you right now that your word is true when it says that we have been saved by one Holy Spirit. God, that we've been brought into this family by one baptism under the lordship and care of one Father. And God, that in this space right now, we are brothers and sisters. Um. God, there is no differentiation between us by any of the worldly standards. As Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, we do not consider or judge or evaluate people based on the ways of the world. God, because we're a family as a result of the cross and the empty tomb. And so I just pray that you would put us in a space right now of seeing us under your care, under the authority of your word, together as brothers and sisters seeking to hear you. And so, God, we know that one of the most incredible things in Scripture is that we're told that the God of all creation has a heart to serve us. And so, Jesus, we just want to boldly ask you to show up by the power of your spirit and to serve us with your word in this time. Amen. So guys, this morning, we're going to reflect in Psalm 147. That's where I wanted to take us together this morning, is Psalm 147. 
You can turn there if you want. We're going to read it in pieces as we go. Let me tell you why. I wanted to spend time in this psalm because I think it beautifully weaves together some attributes of God that we are sometimes prone to separate from one another. I think Psalm 147 weaves together some attributes of God that sometimes we tend to sort of pull away from one another. And let me give you some examples of that. For example, maybe you guys can can connect with this. There are times when I think in my life, maybe in yours too, really quick to accept that God is redeeming the world. Quick to accept that, that God is out there redeeming the world. But then I feel my own brokenness so deeply and then feel like in the grand scheme of God's plan that, you know, he's out there redeeming this world, but I feel like he's silent in the space of my own life. Have you ever felt that way before? You know, I I buy the idea that at a grand scale, God is working. He's in the world. He's doing things. He's redeeming. But honestly, in my own life, it just feels silent. It just feels dry. And so we kind of pull these attributes apart that I believe in a sovereign father over creation, but I don't believe in an intimate father in my life right now, right? Another example, sometimes we readily accept that God cares for us, right? Sometimes we experience his presence in the word. We sense his spirit. We just have those moments where we just recognize, man, God cares for me. He's in my life. He cares for me. He's here. But we get dull to the call to obedience, Right, And so we live in that space of, I have a God who cares for me, but I'm not living under his authority right now. And so we separate the fact that we have a God who cares and a God who commands. Right? We just do this. I just think as people, that's half of what goes on in the Old Testament. Just people that are hyper-focusing on one aspect of God and not really holding together all who he is. And so I think we do that in our lives sometimes. Psalm 147 exposes us to, and here's the three points of today's message, if you're one of those people that like to get the points before you go through them, a God who redeems, a God who cares, and a God who commands. So we're going to look in Psalm 147 at how God does all those things. He's the God who redeems, the God who cares, and the God who commands, okay? So um, the other thing we're going to see from this psalm that I want you to see repeatedly is that Over and over in each of the three sections of this psalm, we're reminded of a key thing, and that is the question it begs is what stirs the heart of God? And the answer is repeatedly, not when we muster up our own strength, but when we recognize our weakness and lean into his strength. Okay, so we're going to see that again and again and want to make sure the Spirit presses that into you this morning. Uh, my favorite commentator on the Psalms is a theologian named Derek Kidner, and so some of my points have come from him, and so good to give credit where credit is due. Um, let's begin Psalm 147, verses 1 through 6. I'm just going to read them, and then we're going to process them. We're going to walk through each section, just talk about it, and then I'll have kind of some, some, some things to pull this all together at the end of the message here. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 6. Here's what we find. English Standard Version is where I'm reading from right now. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. 
He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. That's verses one through six, okay? This first section focuses on the God who redeems. So some words I want you to see here. In verse two, you may have noticed, it says that God is a God who builds and gathers. He builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts. And so we can ask a question, why? Why does our God care about building and gathering? Well, we have a redeeming God, and here's why. He has a heart for rebuilding what's been broken, and he has a heart for calling home those who were lost. Right? Like, it's just good. It's just good to recognize, man, we have a father who identifies with weakness. Like, he doesn't just feel it. He identifies with it, right? He carried it. He wore it in his son, Jesus. And so God is in the business of building and calling, building and gathering. You may have also noticed in verse three, it says that God heals and binds. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds those who are wounded. And so we ask the question, why? Like, why does God care about my wounds? Why does God care about brokenness in my family? Why does God care about the ways that I hurt in the quiet parts of my soul when I'm not masking it with something else, right? Why does he care about that? Well, because he's a redeeming God and he likes and desires to mend what's torn and to heal pain. Like maybe this morning I'm sharing this and you're in a place in life where you're saying amen. Maybe you're in a place right now where you're like, I just don't know if I believe that right now. Like I just don't know if I believe that. I just want to call your attention to the word and just say, we follow and worship a God who redeems. We do. The question, though, we could ask is this. Can God really do that? So that's great, Brian. I really appreciate those four verbs that he builds and he gathers and he heals and he binds, and that's awesome. But can God really do that? And I'm going to tell you that the reason why we have verses 4 and 5 is to help convince us that our redeeming God can do this. Here's how verses 4 and 5 read. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them all their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Here's what the psalmist is saying. If you're tempted to be concerned that God really isn't about this or that God can't do this, he determined the number of stars in the universe, and he named them. And the idea is, if we have a God who is capable of attending to infinite galaxies, why, why would we think that he can't attend to us? I mean, if he can attend to every star and knows their name, doesn't he know your name? Doesn't he know my name? That's the point of verses 4 and 5 just to help remind us and convince us, when you have that moment of processing, does God see and care about me? The answer is he sees and cares about galaxies you will never see. He's there attending to that. Why would he not be attending to me and you in our lives, right? And then we get to verse six. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. And so this is where every, every section ends this way, where we, we see a, a portion of who our God is, and then reminds us who his heart is stirred by and who he moves toward. And in verse 6, we see he moves toward the humble. What's that mean? 
Very simply, it just means people who don't insist on proving their own strength. The humble, right? Just willing to accept where they have weakness and need. Willing to accept that you have brokenness that needs built. That there's ways that you need to be called home. That there's wounds that you have a tendency to mask and need healing from. Right? So that's the first section, the God who redeems. Now in the next section, we're going to move toward the God who cares. Right? And so what this psalm is doing is it's, it's weaving together God is all these things. Right? So, so God is the one who redeems. Now in verses 7 through 11, we're going to see he's the God who cares. And so in Psalm 147, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 now together. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love. So right off the bat in this section, our attention is drawn away from the incalculable vastness of sprawling galaxies. And our attention is drawn to the simple image of a light rain on a grassy hillside or a mother bird feeding her young. Okay, that, that's the image we're taken from. So from galaxies to a hill, right? and birds, and ravens that cry. And so maybe you're kind of asking, like, this is kind of weird. Like, why, what, what, like, why this angle? Like, why are we going from this, this big galaxies to, like, some little grassy knoll? You may not recognize it, but verses 8 and 9 in this psalm have the echo of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let me read to you some of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and as I'm reading this process, could you hear Jesus' word in the psalm I just read? Look at the the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, do not be anxious, for the world seeks after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The second section is about the God who cares, because here's what the psalmist is saying. The God, who, the, God, the God that we serve cares about rain on a hillside and mother birds feeding their young. And so why would he not care about us? I almost wonder when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, did he have this section of Psalm 147 in his mind? Like we know when Jesus preached, like all he had was the Old Testament, right? Like the new didn't exist yet. He was preaching from the Old Testament. So if the first section of Psalm 147 describes a God who orchestrates everything that happens in the world at the grandest scale, the second section of the Psalm describes a God who pays attention to everything at the smallest scale scale. And it's so small, it's almost silly. I mean, really, I, I was studying the psalm and processing, like, this image is almost silly. Uh, what I mean is, it's like, why in the world do I care about a patch of grass 
on a hill in the middle of nowhere? Like, why do I care about that? And the answer is, I don't care about that, but God does, and that's the point. Right? That's the point. Like, just process with me. I, was, I went fishing with my dad recently, and uh, we were on a lake called Cheney Lake, a little bit west of Wichita. And so, and so we boated all around the edge of the lake, and we got off the boat at one point in the middle of nowhere. And, and we were just talking for a moment about the fact, like, the Spirit of the Lord is here, and, and it's his Spirit that actually brings rain on this unseen patch of land that no one ever goes to. Like the Lord provides for this land in this space where no one spends any time. And that's what the psalmist is trying to evoke in our hearts right here is a sense of if you feel like there's moments that God just does not see. Like he just feels absent from this pain, from this brokenness, from this situation. The psalmist is saying, think about the grass on a hill 100 miles from Hastings in 78 billion acres of corn. God is providing rain for that patch of grass. He sees that patch of grass. Why would you think he doesn't see you? Right? The psalmist is saying, it's moving to me. It's just moving to think about my father's attentiveness, our father's attentiveness to care. So that in verses 10 and 11, we're once again reminded of what stirs the heart of God. And once again, it is not our ability to muster up our own strength, but it's our willingness to accept our weakness. It puts it as, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But he takes pleasure in those who fear him, who hope in his steadfast Love. Verse 11, the image of hoping in steadfast love is basically this. To hope in God's love is to recognize that without the presence of his love, you are bankrupt. You're just bankrupt. We have to hope in his love, not only his love, but steadfast love. Because if it wasn't steadfast, it already would have been revoked from my life. There's plenty of reasons why God in his holiness has no reason to love me. But a steadfast love stays. And to hope in that is to say, my hope is there because without that, like I'm just spiritually bankrupt. But I love how in verse 11 here, he connects fearing the Lord and hoping in his love. And so I wanted to connect for you. Like maybe there's times and moments where you've kind of asked the question, like what does the Bible mean when it talks about the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God? And like, how does that even exist in my life? Like how does the fear of God work? And so just to help you process that from an angle of his love, the way this psalm puts it together. I think to fear God the way that it's designed to work in your life is that essentially what you fear more than anything else is losing his presence in your life. Like you don't fear him smashing you. You don't fear him squashing you like a pancake, him incinerating you because Jesus has come and he's torn the veil, and the anger of the Father against sin was poured out on the Son. The dregs were dried. There is no wrath for us, right? We're kids. We don't get punished anymore. We get disciplined. That is radically different. We don't get punished. We get disciplined because we have a good Father who loves us. But to recognize, like, what does fear of God look like for me as a Christian? 
it looks like there is this place in my soul that cries out, God, more than anything else, more than financial bankruptcy, more than pain, more than brokenness, more than loss, I fear that I would wake up one morning and your presence would not be here. And so, God, I just want to be about you because I just want your presence in my life, right? That's what God was saying to Abraham when he takes Isaac up the mountain. And he says to Abraham, now I know that you fear me. Or in other words, now I know that more than losing your own son, what you fear is the loss of me because I am your portion, right? And so we're just being reminded right here, like what's it look like to follow and know and worship this God of care? It's to recognize what I fear more than anything else, Father, is that your care would not be in my life. Thank you. Thank you that your hope is not in the strength of the horse or the strength of my legs, right? You don't give me love based on my performance. You give me love based on your steadfast love. One for me through Jesus. So the first two sections, the God who redeems, the God who cares. Now this final section is really the linchpin because I think more than anything else, we probably tend to connect God redeems and God cares. It's this third section, the God who commands, where it's really easy for us to separate these, right? And so I want this psalm to help bring these together for us in our hearts. So section three, verses 12 through 20, let me read them for us. And we'll talk about him, starting in verse 12. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. So to break down this last section, here's what's happening. In verses 13 through 18, we're seeing that God is in command of all things, including the weather. Talks about the weather. And, and what the psalmist connects in verses 19 and 20 is that if God is Lord, and if he commands things like weather, he is also the rightful Lord of us. Okay? So here's what he's connecting. If God has the capacity to just basically say, it's time for it to snow. Then he has every right to do what he wills in your life. Like he just does, right? That's what the, that's what the psalmist is saying here. And so here's some things we see in verse 13. It says that God strengthens gates. Here's another way of putting it. It means that by his command is the only way that we find any security from danger in this world. It is God who strengthens our gates. It is God who brings security. Nobody else, only by his will. We also see it's God who blesses our children. That means it is by his command and his command alone that families are formed in the manner and way that he sees fit. Right? Because he's the God who commands. 
in verse 14. It says that God makes peace in our borders. And here's what that means. It is only by his command that crisis and chaos is stilled. Only by his command. He fills us with the provision we need. The way the psalmist puts it here is he with the finest of the wheat. And the point is, it is only by God's command that your labor bears any fruit. Only by his command, right? And then in verses 15 through 18, we have just a beautiful picture of God commanding all the weather patterns on the planet. And so the image is that he just throws frost-like ashes right? That he blows hot wind and then melts it and the water pours. Just at God's command, the weather just does what it does, right? The, the way he speaks. But there's this one passage, if you're familiar with the book of Job, the line at the end of verse 17 is, who can stand before his cold, right? And, and it makes me think of in the book of Job, towards the end of it, when God shows up in the whirlwind, this is what God says to Job. Shall a fault finder contend with the almighty man like job showing up and he's like hey god so maybe you're not aware of the fact that my life is kind of cruddy right now and um i've got all these reasons why it can't be and I, I just like have these issues and like god's initial response is like shall a fault finder like you see faults in my plan like he's not blowing job up he doesn't dislike job he's trying to process with job like job you don't understand like i am the sovereign commander of all. That's who I am. Like you're a creature, Job, and I'm creator, right? And so he asked that question, who can stand before his cold? Like who can walk out in Antarctica naked? You probably can't. Like I don't recommend that. Just this process of like, he's in control of these things and like you're going to walk out in a blizzard and just be like, I'm not going to freeze right now because I say so. And just this image of like God is creator. He just does. So, we finally come to the climax of the psalm in the final two verses. And here's what we see. In verse 19, the psalmist says, He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. So here, here's how it's connected. In this first set of verses from 12 to 18, we're seeing that God's command goes forth to the weather, Right, It goes out to the gates to bring us security, and to, to the wheat and, and agriculture that God is behind the, the fruit in our labors. Here's what's fascinating. In verse 19, it does not say that God commands us and that we're just like automatons that follow. What's it say? He declares his word to Jacob. And what's that word look like? His statutes and rules. So here's what's fascinating. We look at God commanding the weather. He just speaks and it happens. What does command, though, look like in our lives? It looks like I'm giving you a choice. Here's these statutes and rules, and I want you to be about me. But I've made you. I've made you with full capability to not be about me. But I'm going to give you my rules. There's beauty there because here's what we see. God looks at the weather and just says, I don't want a relationship with the weather. Like, I just say it and it does it. But with you and me, he wants a relationship with us. Like, he doesn't command us like weather. 
He doesn't just say and we do. He says, here is what it looks like to follow and know me. Would you know me? Would you know me? Right? So he declares his word, statutes and rules to Israel. Now, verse 20, you could read that and think the psalmist was like a total arrogant mean head, right? Do you like that mean head, like that fifth grade insult going on right there? Like you, you might feel that as you read it. Let me read verse 20 to you. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules, praise the Lord. Like you could, in the wrong tone, it can almost sound like, you know, like the, the uppity high horse church being like, you know, those people outside of our walls, they don't know the rules of the Lord, but fortunately we're not like them, right? Like it could feel like that. That's not what's being said here. This is not a statement of arrogance. This is a statement of intense humility. Here's what the psalmist is saying. Like, we have the privilege of knowing God. Like, we know what he said. Like, there are people out there that do not know the Lord. They do not know his commands. They do not know his word. Like, why in the world would our hearts not be drawn toward the fact that God has been kind enough to awaken our hearts to know him? Right? Like, lest any of us are living under the illusion that you came to God all on your own, I would just say, read John chapter 3 with a good commentary and get some better theology. Like, you did not come to God all on your own. The Holy Spirit awakened you to the reality of your need for Jesus. And without his work, you would not be in this room right now. You would not be in the family. And so this statement of they don't know his rules is not to say we're better, but it's to say, why would we not want to be about what this God wants us to be about? Because he has allowed us to know him. And here's what this psalmist is also trying to do for us. He's trying to connect for us all three threads of this psalm, that the God who commands is the God who redeems and cares. Um, let, let me kind of say it this way. For a moment, I just want you to reflect as I say this. Like, I just want you to reflect, how would it impact your life if every time you saw a command of God in Scripture over your life, that you read that from the angle of the God who redeems you and the God who cares for you. Like the same God who commands you is the God who controls galaxies and attends to you and controls rain on the middle of nowhere hill and, and attends to your life. Like these commands he lays on our lives, like we can't separate. Like here's God who commands me. Here's God who cares for me. It's all the same Lord, right? And, and here's the image I want to give you. Like, what if, maybe you never thought about this in your life before, but process with me. Has it ever occurred to you that the commands that God lays on your life and the boundaries those create in your life, like when God says, here's what I want you to be about, here are my laws, has it ever occurred to you that living within those boundaries is the way you actively experience his care and redemption? Like, process that. Like, I, so, so I'm a married man. I have a history of pornography addiction, major in college. My wife and I have worked through that together. 
And man, we have some wonderful openness in our marriage now. God's done an amazing work in our marriage. There's a level of safety and security and care that my wife and I experience with each other that we never did early in our marriage, right? Like there, it is safe to be honest in my marriage. And it wasn't always that way. But here's something I didn't connect is that when God would say to me, Ryan, like, as I'm calling you to fight for purity here, I'm not telling you to do this because I'm angry at you or because I want to break you. Like, I'm helping you understand if you want to experience my care and redemption, I'm pushing you in these boundaries because this is where it happens. Like, if you would be about this, you would experience my care and redemption. I am the God who commands and I'm the God who cares. I'm both. Right? I think sometimes we set those apart from each other, right? Like either God is caring for me or he's telling me what to do. Have we ever processed by him telling us to do like that's how he's caring for us? Right? That's moving to my soul. God's laws were never designed to keep you from experiencing fullness of life. They were designed to protect you from losing fullness of life. God's laws were never designed to protect you from, to, to block you from experiencing fullness, but they're to protect you from losing fullness. And so just to make a quick connection, not in my manuscript put together, Adam and Eve, like, like here's one of the things that happened with Adam and Eve. Their position toward God was, is that I just know that you're withholding the best from me. I just know it. So God, when you say you can have all this fruit, but not this, the reason is, is that you know what's best and you don't want me to have it. So whatever, God, like you say what you want. I'm eating this fruit because I'm going to get what you say I can't have because I know you're holding out on me. And that's never what was happening. That's never what was happening. Adam and Eve's heart where sin entered is their heart felt like, to have a God who tells me what to do is a God who's blocking me from getting what I really want. And man, that is the work of the enemy and the work of sin in your flesh. A God who tells you what to do is a God who's saying, I want fullness for you. Will you not want this? I want fullness for you. And this is the way, right? So we've walked through the psalm together. We've made sense kind of finish now in terms of encouraging the church and just doing some simple application here. How radically would it affect a church culture if a church didn't separate God's redemption, care, and commands from each other? And that is my challenge for the well church this morning. How radically would it affect a church culture to have a space we did not separate God's redemption, care, and commands. Let me try to give some more feet to this. Um, can the well be a church where redemption is regularly celebrated? Can the well be a church where God's care is intimately experienced and can the well be a church where God's commands are joyfully obeyed? Can all that happen in one church family? The answer is yes. But the question for this church family is, is the answer yes? 
Can this be a place where redemption is celebrated, care is experienced, and commands are joyfully obeyed? Because these are all together. To experience his care is to learn how to joyfully obey a command, right? To experience his redemption. Like this is all together here. I don't know if this is connecting in your heart, but I guess I'm just trying to speak to how sometimes in our souls we fall like in this legalistic camp where we're just kind of going through the motions and doing things to earn something because at some level, we just don't believe that God is really a good enough father who would just invite us in by the death of his son. Or you're on the other end where instead of trying to fight to keep laws, you're just ignoring those type things and just trying to live in this space of God loves me and he's not calling me to become something else. And what we're missing is like in both of those camps, what we're not really believing is that the God who cares is the God who commands. Right? Um, What we're in the business of as the church is we're in the business of culture creation. That's what we do as Christians. We're creating a culture that speaks a different word. All of us could go out in the world right now and we could find a place to belong where no one cared about us becoming something else. I could go to a bar right now and find a friend, right? Nothing wrong with bars, right? I'm not like beating up on bars. Like, I'm just saying, I could go there and find a friend who says, hey, you belong here and nobody cares about me becoming anything but just there, right? I could also go to a different place where I didn't felt like I belonged and people just keep on saying, you gotta be better, Ryan. You gotta be better, Ryan. You gotta be better, Ryan, right? Can the church be a place, though, we can come and we can belong and become? A place where you can belong, the God of care, and you can become the God of command. Right? That speaks a word. There's nothing special about a church that only makes people feel like they belong. There's a hundred places in the culture that do that. What about a church where people belong and as you see people interact, there's a sense of there is something beyond people's will and strength here that is changing people in this space. That's called the work of the Holy Spirit, right? So I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you with seeing just the beauty of this psalm. I want you to be encouraged about what God is doing here at the well. I spent time with the leadership team yesterday, and I was just really encouraged. I really was. There's a good work here, right? It's good to slow down and celebrate the victories. Also, just to make sure we um, put the capstone on the psalm here, and this is more for just your personal life, um, just to think and reflect on. Verse 6 talked about God's heart is stirred for the humble. And so my question would be, are you ready and willing to admit the places in your life where you need rebuilding and healing? One of my favorite books is called The Relational Soul. Here's one of the lines in that book, and maybe some of you, this will just land good on you this morning. You will not learn how to be present in someone else's life until you can learn how to be quiet in your own. And and what the image there is like, in my own life, am I experiencing and recognizing where I need rebuilt and healed? And am I going to the Lord to that so that when I'm with others, I can be present with them, right? In verse 11, 
It talks about those who hope in God's steadfast love. In your life, do you recognize how needy you are for God's care? Right? We're all really needy for God's care. Do you recognize that? Like, that's, a safe pace, that's a safe space to be. In verse 20, those who know God's rules. Will you be like those who know God's rules and stand in awe of a God who gives you commands? Why? Because he is so committed to redeeming you and caring for you. Hear that again. Will you stand in awe of a God who gives you commands? Why? Because he's so committed to redeeming you and caring for you. That's why he's giving you his word and his commands because he means to redeem you and he means to care for you. Right? So, brothers and sisters, that's what I've got for you this morning from the word. Man, I hope the Holy Spirit spoke to you. I shouldn't say I hope, like I know he did, right? God's word was preached. The word never goes out void, Isaiah 55. And so wherever he met you, praise God. Um, Just for some personal growth and process, like I would just encourage you as you leave this place, maybe this week, if you kind of reflect on this message or get a moment and slow down and just kind of think through, um, just ask yourself, do I really believe that the God who commands is the God who cares. If you can get in that space, it will radically change what obedience feels like. It will radically change obedience from an affair of trying to please a scowling God to an affair of pleasing a father who loves you and is committed to caring for you. And one of the ways he cares for you is he says, here's these boundaries I'm telling you because I love you. If you live outside these, you're going to find yourself in pain. Be here. Be here with me. Let me shepherd you. Be a sheep that's not always trying to leave the fold. Stay. Listen. Walk. Right? All right. I'm going to pray. Uh, and we break into communion like right now. Okay, I'm going to pray and then we'll talk about communion and then we'll do that together. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, it's such a privilege to be here with brothers and sisters in Nebraska. Um, God, I have no idea where the men and women are in this room this morning. But God, I pray your spirit would be at work right now, softening hearts. God, if there is someone here who's been on the verge of some obedience that they know you are calling them to, I pray you would take the instruction of Psalm 147 and by the power of your spirit, God, would you help them to feel your care in the demands of that obedience. Maybe, God, there's folks here this morning that are very committed to wanting to feel your care They're all about that, but they've just kind of grown dull to the call of obedience. Maybe there's moments they process, God, why am I not experiencing you? And and maybe your spirit, God, can lead to awaken eyes this morning and say, son or daughter, like, are are you coming to me as the God to redeem you, but not accepting that I'm also the God who commands you? God, in those moments when our arrogance flares up, we have trouble following you, would you just run that question through our mind. 
Who can stand against God's cold? Lord, far be it from me that my heart attitude before a God who would send his son and give everything to win me, that when you call me to obedience, my attitude is, God, you don't get me. You don't understand this. God, I can't do this. God, how much we're missing your heart for us. God, it reminds me of Jesus when he tells his disciples, I lay my life down for my friends. And he says, my friends are those who keep my commands. God, to be a friend of you is to share your heart and to share your heart is to experience your care and experience your redemption and humble myself under your hand. God, that you get to call the shots in my life. And you're not doing that to push me around. You're doing that because you're a shepherd and you know where I'm supposed to go and I don't. God, we need the green pastures and the still waters of Psalm 23, but God, we'll never taste them if we want to play shepherd. God, help us to lay down the staff and to give it to you and to be your sheep and to believe that as we do, we will experience your redemption and care in ways that we haven't. God, be with this church family. Encourage these brothers and sisters. God, give them just a huge sense that what's happening right now is not some small ragtag thing in a YMCA. This is your church. This is your plan A and only plan for the redemption of the world. This is big. This matters. God, encourage these brothers and sisters that are giving their time and their energy to serve and lead in this church. This is worth every ounce of energy. God, we give all this to you. And God, more than anything, I thank you that the tomb is empty. God, you didn't just die for my sin and leave me to stumble. You died for my sin and you rose from the dead so that I can walk in a new way. And so can my brothers and sisters here. In your precious name we pray, amen. So guys, we do communion every Sunday at the seat as well. Um, And so here's what I always talk about, my brothers and sisters. At the table um, was the Last Supper, right? And here's the thing, like at that table, Peter, like you got to love Peter because we're all like him. Peter's like, Lord, I am ready to follow you to prison and death. And, And what's Jesus' response? Like, Peter, before tonight's out, Not one of you is still going to be by my side. And if I was Jesus, you know what I would say? Get out. Like, you're not my friends. You say you are, but in my time of deepest need, you're going to leave. Like, if I'm Jesus, that's what I say to Peter. Peter, get up and leave. Like, talk about all day long how you're my friend, but you're going to deny me three times. You know what Jesus does? Eat. Like, just feel that with me for a moment. Like in this space right now, God knows what your life is going to look like over the next week. Like he knows how you're going to fail. And his response right now is not get up from this table and leave. His response is eat. My body is broken for you. I'm here for your failures. But I'm not here just to assuage your guilt and failures. I'm here to teach you a new way. 
right? And so this morning, if you are a son or daughter of God, if you're one of his, this is for you, right? And I want you to be reminded, you at every moment of your life in Christ, you are invited to the table to take up his flesh and his blood for your sins, okay? If you're not a believer this morning, you're not sure you are, this is not for you, but it can be before I finish saying this sentence. Man, you can enter the kingdom now if you would be like the humble in verse 6, if you would be like those who fear the Lord because of his love in verse 11. You can give your life to Jesus before I can finish this sentence, and this could be for you. So if that's you and you want to talk to somebody, I'm available, Joe's available, several leaders would love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus, okay? So we're going to do communion together, and, and as you come up here, I just want you to process you're invited to the table. So come and eat, right? Come and eat. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.